What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for today, Simon Villanos. This is episode 68, uh, and we're back at it with another spotlight. We're going to just label this one a 2021 spotlight. We got four teams here. I'm going to go ahead and say who they are. It's Wiggins, Golden, Longmont, and Douglas County that we are talking about today. Now, the thing that these four teams have in common is that they have very exceptional quarterbacks that we have not talked about a lot. We've probably mentioned them in a recap here or there, some of them in multiple recaps, but this is an opportunity to, you know, give some of those quarterbacks more love and the players around them because, you know, you need a good squad to, you know, be a winning team and be successful as a quarterback. And so we're going to spread the love here and talk about these four teams with exceptional underrated quarterbacks, in my opinion. But we're going to go ahead and get it started on the 1A level. We're talking about Wiggins right here. And if you have been paying attention to our recaps, which, by the way, go ahead and check them out. They release pretty much every Monday or Tuesday, usually pretty much every Tuesday. You could find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to our podcast. And thank you for the support, by the way. But we've been talking about Wiggins almost every week since week one. And a lot of it is because of their quarterback, Cole Kerr. But before we go into that, let's talk about the record last year. And so last year, played in the fall, they went two and five. Only had two dubs. And those two dubs, uh, one of them was uh, 21 to six dub versus Bennett. At the very beginning of the year, I believe that was to start off the year. And then the other one was on October, or sorry, November 7th against Holly. They won 46-14. to Other than that, here were their losses. They lost to Ray, 40-6. Holyoke, 34-6. Lyman, 42-12. Yuma, 49-16. And at the end of the year, they lost to Highland, 46-18. Now, it's important to point out that this was a very young team. Uh, Cole Kerr, I believe, was starting at quarterback. He was a sophomore back then. A lot of the players around him were either sophomores or juniors, you know. Um, So, a very young team for this Wiggins squad. So, they didn't lose that many players. Uh, They did lose running back Austin. I want to say it's Hua. He had 206 yards, three touchdowns on defense. He also had 36 tackles. I believe he was uh, one of the top tacklers on this team. They're also losing their 6'4" wide receiver Logan Kerr he had 246 receiving yards and two touchdowns also on defense he had one interception on the defensive side of the ball they only lost two of their top 11 tacklers uh, one of them being Austin the other one being defensive tackle Lucas Carpenter so just in general you know this team lost maybe three or four seniors some of them weren't starters austin and lucas carpenter were seniors for sure and so last year it was a very young team uh it was obviously a year where you know you kind of just wanted to get your youngins out there and see what you got right and it was a covid year and so they didn't really have a full off season at least i don't think so and so you know, a lot of, I, I don't want to say excuses, but a lot of excuses and things can be made. You could give them some credit here. You know, this is a very young team. And when you're going up against teams like a Lyman, um, who's always like star studded or a Highland who had Holden Morgan and had a lot of seniors last year, you know, uh, some of those teams that are a lot more experienced have like programs that honestly, I mean, you can rotate players in and out. They're going to have the same success. That's that's kind of a hard ask to, <laughs> to ask out of a young Wiggins team. But going into this year, you know, they're making some statements. And so 
going into their game against Flatirons Academy on September 24th, I believe, which, by the way, is going to be a pretty big game because I believe Flatirons is undefeated as well, and it will be in Westminster as well. Um, but they are 3-0 going into this Flatirons game, and the harder part of their schedule, you know, their schedule definitely picks up a lot starting this Friday, or today, uh, whenever uh, this uh, comes out, so... Let me talk about their dubs here. So they actually came back to open the season and beat Highland 38 to 21. If you remember last year, they got stomped by Highland 46 to 18. At the end of the year, they go ahead and return that back to Highland, and Highland is a good squad over there. And so that's a quality dub to get it started. Uh, I believe Colker actually won Player of the Week that week as well. Then the following week, they play Gilchrist, uh, shut them down 45 to zero, and then they play Old. Off and win 53 to 6, only allowing one touchdown. And so, you know, very dominant start to the season, but like I said, their schedule definitely gets harder and they'll be playing a lot more quality teams here. But before we get into their schedule and predicting all of that, let me talk about the man of the hour, the quarterback that we are very interested in. He will probably be one of the top quarterbacks in the class of. 23 uh, because he is a junior right now and that is quarterback Cole Kerr uh, took over the offense last year like I said had a pretty solid season or at least as good a season as you could expect out of a sophomore quarterback during a COVID season with a young team but this is honestly the season where he's putting it together and so is his team and you know honestly Cole Kerr is this offense for Wiggins he does a lot for them and the sky's the limit you know and so, let me go ahead and talk about his stat line here, game by game. He only played three games, so it won't take too long here. But against Highland, went 14 of 22 for 225 passing yards, four touchdowns. Also ran 15 times for 115 rushing yards and a touchdown. That was enough to win him player of the week that first week of the season. Versus Valley, went 9 of 13, 175 passing yards, three touchdowns. Threw one interception, but also ran nine times for 125 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Versus Olaf, 7 of 9, 100 yards, two passing touchdowns, five rushes for 78 yards and three rushing touchdowns. Now, as you can see, his passing attempts have went down uh, pretty much every game since the start. But I believe that's just because of the strength of schedule. They want to preserve him, not use him as much. And so you see his touches go down. Still productive, though. Still super productive. I don't believe he has scored less than five touchdowns all year. Actually, I believe he scored five touchdowns in every game so far every year, which is insane. Uh, five total touchdowns, that is. And so, I... Oh, man. I mean, those stats speak for themselves. You know, he's a dual threat. He could throw the ball. He could run the ball. Uh, Cole Kerr is somebody that we have on our radar, and we're probably going to do an in-depth breakdown of his game probably at the end of the season whenever the rest of his film comes out. But he is an exceptional quarterback, only a junior, by the way, and already putting it together. But, you know, we'll talk about going into, uh, you know, this season and some of the games he have because or this, some of the games he will have to play in and, you know, really step it up and play a good game against in order to win because there will be some very good tests uh, against Cole Curry here, and it will be interesting to see where he's at against some of these squads that are a little bit more dominant. And, you know, that will be an opportunity for him to make a statement, but don't be surprised if he does. Now, 
on the other side of a lot of those touchdowns, you have junior wide receiver Omar Perez. He is the number one receiver for his, for this team and has emerged as one of the top scorers uh, for the squad next to Cole Kerr. Um, obviously, someone else has to eat if Cole Kerr is eating. And, you know, Omar Perez, he's getting a lot of those opportunities to score and make plays. And honestly... Just looking at his stat line here, he's somebody that you kind of got to pay attention to and double if there was any player that you wanted to double on the defensive side of the ball. But let me go ahead and run through the stat line real quick. So against Highland, nine receptions, 152 receiving yards, two touchdowns versus Valley. Uh, kind of a quieter game. Only had one reception for 24 yards and a touchdown. Not bad, though. Against Olaf, he had five receptions, 65 receiving yards, and two receiving touchdowns. So on this season, he has five receiving touchdowns. He is probably the lead receiver for the squad. Like I said, you know, um, I kind of feel like they are preserving some of these players for these tougher games down the line. And so his touches went down. And obviously, you know, when you're a receiver and your touches go down, so do, so do your stats naturally, uh, unless you're just really lucky. So I'm not worried about that, but he is definitely a playmaker. He is the number one receiver on this team. And, you know, there are other guys on this squad as well. Their running back is pretty good as well. And they have some other receivers out here putting in work. And so this is a pretty complete team, uh, obviously led by their quarterback, Cole Kerr. But they have skill players that could give some other teams some trouble here. So don't get that twisted. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, I'm going to talk about two brothers here, actually. So, first off, I'm going to talk about the older one, and that is senior defensive tackle Mohamed Ibrahim. At least, I believe that's how it is. Um, that's how you pronounce it, Mohamed Ibrahim. But first off, before I just talk about football, let me talk about uh, how he did in track last year. Because this man... Is a track star a throwing one at that first off he shattered records at shot putt and discus last year so huge congrats to him those records were held uh in 2008 and 1966 respectively and so for him to beat those school records that's huge and you know i was reading through a couple articles while doing my research on um, these players and head coach mario garcia actually compared him to dalton risner as far as potential went uh with track that is and if for those of you who don't know who Dalton Risner Reisner is, I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. I'm sure Broncos fans are gonna, you know, come after me, but honestly I don't care. So do what you want with that. But he is the starting guard for the Denver Broncos, one of their I want to say one of their more talented offensive linemen, at least in my opinion. He might be their most talented offensive lineman, and so Dalton, he actually came from Wiggins, Colorado, a small school. And so that comparison, I mean, obviously he's talking about track in this context and whatnot, but I mean, you can't, <laughs> you can't just take that for granted, you know, uh, track in my opinion, ex exemplifies athleticism, right? And you know, Mohamed Ibrahim, he definitely has that and a little bit more. And so he's a monster athlete. He's also the lead tackler on this football team, by the way, at defensive tackle, which isn't an easy thing to do. You'd have to basically dominate dominate the line every time and get to <laughs> the ball carrier before your linebackers or secondary players. And so for him to do that is kind of insane. But uh, let me talk about his stat line here real quick. So against Highland, he had 14 tackles. 12 of those were solo, by the way. 
way. Uh, versus Valley, he had seven tackles. Olaf, he has ten tackles. And so, like I said, he is the leading tackler on this squad. He's a monster and whatnot. He's going to clean up a lot of the running game and a lot of mistakes that you might have uh, in the secondary because I believe you could pass rush as well. And so... Having him out there um, at defensive tackle for Wiggins, that's huge, you know, um, because they are an offensive team. We know that, but they got guys on defense like him that can make some plays out here at defensive tackle, which is arguably one of the more important spots uh, on your defense. On the other side, well, not on the other side, but on the other, I guess, side of the line, you have his brother, Laith Ibrahim. He plays defensive tackle as well. Uh, I'm just going to assume he's a younger brother or uh, he's a relative of some sort, but I did do my research on him as well. Unfortunately, couldn't find the weight of either of them. I know they're both about 6'3", but Leith, he is actually a wrestler and wrestled in the 285-pound weight class as a sophomore last year and actually went to state uh, for wrestling and is a dominant athlete himself. And so he is actually second on this football team in tackles and is also the leader on this team in sacks. And so the Ibrahim brothers are showing that they are a force to be reckoned with on this defensive line, you know, and uh, not the only pair of brothers on the 1A level that's making some noise. Shout out to the Sprague brothers over at Holyoke. And so these two are a force to be reckoned with. They're going to wreck a lot of offensive lines, cause a lot of trouble. And, you know, when you find yourself in shootouts, which I'm sure this Wiggins team is probably going to find themselves in plenty of shootouts. It's important to have some guys on this defensive line that could get after the quarterback, stop the run, and, you know, kind of halt opposing offenses as uh, as good as they could, at least. So, there you go. But let me talk about uh, Laith's um, stat line here, and hopefully I'm saying his name right. I apologize if I'm not. Um, but, you know, hey, feel free to come on to the show and correct me. But anyways... So, against Highland, he had nine total tackles, two sacks in that game. Versus Valley, he had six tackles and a sack. And then versus Olaf, he had ten tackles and two sacks in that game. And so, this defensive line, uh, well, really, these brothers are very productive. Obviously, you have other defensive players doing their thing as well. I believe Cole Kerr plays both ways. Uh, the running back, I think he plays both ways as well. He's an exceptional little uh, defensive back out there as well. And so, all together, you know, this is very much a dark horse team on this 1A level. You know, obviously, we didn't talk about them in the recap because... I mean, looking at their players from last year, this was a very young team. And honestly, they still are. If you notice in that core group of players that I was talking about, uh, Mohamed Ibrahim, he's the only senior in this group. The, the rest are juniors, you know, and so this year i think they only graduate a handful of seniors next year you know they'll have a lot of seniors for sure so this is still a very young team and a dark horse team in my opinion i think it'll be interesting to see how they stack up as they approach the tougher part of uh of their season and so let me go ahead and talk about their season here uh, coming up and kind of predict these dubs and l's and uh, the record going in Alright, so uh, today, September 24th, they play Flatirons Academy at 4 o'clock, I believe. I think this is a dub. Uh, they are 3-0, like Wiggins, and this is a team that I like as well. I think Flatirons Academy is very well coached and whatnot. It's no surprise that they are 3-0 so far. Like I said, they are very well coached. 
But I believe Wiggins, although they are a fellow young team because Flatirons Academy did graduate a whole ton of seniors last year. I believe this group of uh, young players over at Wiggins has a lot more experience than uh, this young group of players over at Flatirons Academy. Just because, you know, uh, Flatirons uh, young group, they have been sitting behind their seniors and, you know, the players older than them. While this group, this Wiggins group, has um, most of them have been playing since last year as sophomores, actually. And so they have that game experience, and I don't think you could just uncredit that. And so... I think this will be a close game, maybe similarly to the Highland game, at least to start out, but I'll still predict Wiggins winning this one, um, possibly by a good amount, but I think they'll win it regardless whether it's close or by a lot, so there you go. Uh, right after that, uh, on November, or sorry, October 1st, they play Ray, I think this will be a dub. Uh, this will be a telling game as, you know, this Ray team lost to an undefeated Centauri team by only 14 points. And, you know, Centauri, they're a team that's rolling right now and definitely one of our contenders. So you can't take that for granted. I believe this will probably be their first true test of the season. I know you have flat irons. I know you played Highland to start the year, but I think Ray is a team that we've had our eyes on. You know, didn't say they're a contender, but they are a good team. And they've shown that they're a good team. And so, personally, I still believe that Wiggins goes ahead and uh, and they win this one. And uh, Cole Kerr, their quarter Wiggins is quarterback. He outduels a uh, fellow dual threat quarterback, Jaden Dodsworth, the senior, over at Ray. Uh, because he has had a... You know, a nice season for himself as well. But I think Wiggins goes ahead and wins a close one. Probably a one-score game kind of deal here. And this one might end up being a shootout. A fun one at that. But we'll just have to keep our eye on that game. But I still think Wiggins goes ahead and wins this one. Following that game, they go ahead and play Yuma. Now, Yuma... Just won a close one against Highland, 28-21. to uh, Honestly, the way I see it, if Cole Kerr and company can't beat Flatirons and Ray, I think this is a game they win because of their ability to just throw the ball. Uh, Yuma, they are more known for running the ball with multiple players, and that's fine. But I think, uh, you know, this Wiggins team is just a little bit more complete. You know, they have different ways of beating you other than just running the ball. Um, they could pass it as well, and so... I think they go ahead and beat Yuma here. And honestly, these last three games, Flatirons, Ray, uh, Yuma, I could see them dropping them, but in close matchups. But I'm going to go ahead and predict that they have the hot hand going into this Holyoke game, winning three in a row here. Well, at this point, they would be undefeated on the season, so they'd be around 6-0 right now. But having played Flatirons, Ray, and Yuma, and beating all of them, you know, that's no small feet and so that's a that's a lot of momentum to have here but going into this Holyoke game one of their biggest games of the season uh honestly I think Holyoke is pretty well coached I think the Sprague brothers are good football minds and uh honestly good football players as well and I don't know despite Holyoke losing a close one or not a close one an ugly one to Florence I think 
this Holyoke team will be uh, harder to stop as the playoffs get closer. I think that Florence game was a little bit of a wake-up call here. And so, in my opinion, I think Holyoke looks at this game and they're like, hey, I want to make a statement against Wiggins, especially if they haven't lost yet. Um, this should be a good game, but I have Holyoke go going ahead and uh, uh, beating a younger, I guess, less experienced Wiggins team in this matchup right here. After that, they play Burlington. That should be an easy dub there. Not even go a lie. Uh, I'm not gonna put more disrespect on Burlington. Uh, just, just take the dub, Wiggins. So there you go. And then to end the season, yee, they play Lyman. And look, ah, uh, at this point, it'd be kind of a huge upset to pick anybody to beat Lyman as of right now. So I'm gonna go ahead and predict this one as a loss. Uh, I, and honestly, I just don't know if they're ready to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the state champs. Maybe at this point, they're battle-hardened and they're ready to go. Um, but, you know, this Lyman team, they're they're good. <laughs> and they're always good, you know. But this team, especially, they're very good this season. And just as strong as we predicted, honestly. And, you know, this game's in Lyman as well. So that's not an easy dub by any means. They already have home field advantage. And so I don't think it's out of this world to predict this one as an L. Now, if they were to meet again in the playoffs, maybe you have a different story. You know, maybe this is a game where Wiggins goes ahead and tests and see what works against Lyman, and then when they meet a second time, you know, they're that much more smarter and experienced, at least against this Lyman squad. So, there you go. But altogether, final record. The final record I have predicted for Wiggins is 7-2. Uh, honestly, I think worst case scenario, they go 5-4. and four. That could be just as realistic with L's to Holyoke Lyman and or two L's to one of these three teams, uh, Flatirons Academy, Ray, or Yuma. They could drop um, two losses against uh, one of those three right there in my opinion. And so 7-2 and two, I think is what I'm going to go ahead and run with. But like I said, I'll open the door or keep the door open uh out of five and four record and part of that is because look Wiggins does not have an easy schedule uh, I think as they enter league play they will be tested and we will see how legit they are and if they're legit they're gonna win the majority of their league games and the Holyoke game in my opinion either way I think this is a team that will make the playoffs deserves to make the playoffs and once that happens anything could go down you know like I said they have Cole Kerr they have Omar Perez they have that running back they have the Ibrahim brothers you know they have a good team I would say they have pieces that you look at and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a good player. That's a good player. That's a starter on another team, honestly. Probably a star on another team as well. And so the only thing that really worries me is that they're just kind of a younger team, right? They don't, I, I, I kind of doubt their experience to a little bit of a degree, but honestly, they have been proving us wrong so far, and so I expect them to continue to do that. Um, regardless, this is a good team. This is a nice young team. A lot of these players we will be talking about next year as well, and so final record, final predicted record I have for Wiggins is 7-2. It will be interesting to see where these young players are developmentally at the end of the season as well. But that'll wrap up this episode. We're going to go ahead and jump up to the 4A level, which is where we'll uh, pretty much stay at for the majority of this episode. Coming up next. Okay, so right here, 
we got Golden. That is the team we're going to talk about next. Now, this is a team that has definitely surprised this season, uh, honestly, <laughs> on a lot of our predictions. Uh, we, predicted them, we predicted them as losses on a lot of opposing team schedules. Now, that is very not true going into the season as they are 4-0. But before we do that, let's talk about last year's record. Let's talk about we, what we saw last year and why we felt like this team maybe uh, doesn't do as good as they are doing right now. Okay, so last year, uh, in a COVID year, they played in the fall, went 2-5, and five, just like Wiggins. Uh, their only two dubs were against Wheat Ridge, 21-0, and Bear Creek, 28-6. Their losses were against Palmer Ridge, 42-7, who went to state. Stanley Lake, 3-0. Uh, Chatfield, 36-14. Dakota Ridge, 45-3. And Conifer, 20-13. Honestly... Golden played a lot of really good teams here. Just looking at their schedule. Palm Ridge, obviously, they went to state. They had Luke McAllister. Chatfield, they're always a good program. Dakota Ridge last year was stacked between Spencer Hardy, Charlie, uh, and all the boys that are there right now this season. Conifer, they had Noah Wagner, um, the leading rusher in the state last year, I believe, or one of the leading rushers. And so, very tough uh, very tough schedule, I would say. Uh, the players that they did lose, they kind of lost a lot of seniors, which is why we felt like this team coming up, you know, they'd be a younger team, and they're a team that uh, uh, honestly just didn't have a lot of varsity snaps last year because they were losing a lot between their starting quarterback, Joey Mancuso, uh, running back Sam Aranda. He was the third leading rusher in the team, granted, so I'll, I'll give them that, uh, but he still contributed a solid amount. Their wide receivers, their lead wide receivers chance uh, McCagnan and Adam Fiesel these were also um, like I said their lead wide receivers and only two players that caught a pass last year came back out of like seven or eight and so that's kind of tough nine of their top 11 tacklers graduated including top tacklers uh, Campbell Thompson linebacker James Doubtit um, at least that's how you say it. I believe we actually did a breakdown on him. So, you know, go ahead and check that out. They're losing their sack leader, uh, Hayden English as well, as well as their interception leader, Grayson Flambers, I want to say. And by the way, uh, only one defender from last year who caught an interception. I believe there were five or six that caught picks last year, uh, returns this year. And so really... They lost pretty much their almost their entire defense, uh, plus at least half of their starting offense. I know they lost some linemen there as well. And so going into this season, I mean, you're looking at this team and it's like, all right, you have to rebuild the entire defense. All right, uh, that's tough. On offense, you're losing your quarterback, you're losing your top receivers. So really, you got to build new chemistry and whatnot with... Um, you know, with, with the young receivers and quarterback that you had right here. And so going in, it was like, okay, you know, this is a team that maybe might figure it out as the, as the year goes on, but they're definitely a lot more unknowns here, having a lot of players who honestly, you know, um, a lot of them had JV snaps or backup snaps on varsity uh, up until this point, up until this year. But speaking of this year, they're 4-0 going into their September 24th game uh, tonight against Widefield. And honestly, their strong start was surprising. And 
this momentum that they have at 4-0 will strongly impact this season, in my opinion. So, to start off the year, they got a dub versus Broomfield, 29-22. That was a huge upset there, and so we talked about that. Uh, versus Green Mountain, the following week, they won again, 35-14. That's... I mean, that's probably a dub that they're going to get anyways. Uh, so, there you go. Against a good Skyline team who just beat Silver Creek last week. Another good Longmont team. They beat them 33-21. to I believe their quarterback actually got player of the week that week or one of these weeks. And then against Liberty... I mean, you know, as expected, uh, I, don't, <laughs> I guess Liberty thought uh, they were getting an easy dub here because they scheduled them for homecoming. But they go ahead and beat Liberty 46-8 to in Colorado Springs to go ahead and improve to 4-0. and Now, here's the thing. This turnaround doesn't happen without multiple players playing very well. And one of those players, and the player that, you know, kind of fits this bill, this theme that we have going on throughout this episode, having strong quarterbacks, is their junior quarterback, Jayzo Riley the fourth. JR4 is what I'm gonna go ahead and call him. Um, but he was on the roster last season actually. And, you know, maybe he made huge improvements to his game between last year and this year. But Loki, in my opinion, should have gotten some varsity snaps sometime near the end of the season. And more than the starting quarterback at that point. Because just watching uh, Jazel Riley the fourth JR4 play this year, you know, he's super accurate. He has a great arm and all that. Um, moves in the pocket well. He could run, too. You know, and so I'm just looking at all that and I'm like, how did he not start last year at some point? But, you know, it is Colorado football. That's just something that happens. And, obviously, you want to give your senior those snaps and whatnot. Um, plus, it was a COVID year and you didn't even know the season was going to happen. So, you know, there you go. But this year, it doesn't matter. JR4 has emerged as one of the best quarterbacks in the entire state. Uh, and he makes up the large majority of this offense, a lot like Cole Kerr does uh, for Wiggins, honestly. But let me go ahead and talk about his stat lines to let his numbers do a lot of the talking here, if you don't believe me. But versus Broomfield, like I said, an upset game. He won 10 of 19 for 174 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, rushed 14 times for 61 yards and two touchdowns. Versus Green Mountain, he went 14 of 21, 197 passing yards, a touchdown, uh, threw one interception, but that's fine. He also rushed 23 yards for two touchdowns. That's probably his most domestic um, stat line here, or one of his more uh, low-key stat lines right here. Versus Skyline, which is, I think this is the game where he won Player of the Week for us. Um, he went 12 of 24, 215 passing yards, five passing touchdowns, nine rushes, 29 yards. And my apologies, I don't believe he won Player of the Week, but I believe he was strongly considered, like, he was literally second in that. But he could have won Player of the Week, is what I'm trying to say here. But excellent, excellent you know, just stats against Skyline, which is a good team at that, you know. So, there you go. Then against Liberty, uh, kind of a more low-key type of game. You could definitely tell they were trying to preserve his snaps here. You know, only went 3 of 6 for 79 yards, uh, two passing touchdowns. So, <laughs> two of those three completions went for touchdowns. So, there you go. He also had two rushes for 24 yards and a touchdown. So, yeah, Jayzel Riley, the fourth, JR4. He is the real deal. Uh, I went ahead and looked at some of his film from the Skyline game. And honestly, he just made a lot of like perfect 
accurate passes. His touch on the ball is, like, excellent, you know. And it wasn't like Skyline was playing bad defense or anything like that. He was just simply making better passes than they could have possibly played better defense at that point, you know. And so, he is extremely talented out of Golden. Has a chance to be one of the best quarterbacks you know in this state here going into next year obviously y'all know we do our top five seniors every year at each position now next year will be pretty stacked between Braden Dorman, Cole LaCrue for Broomfield, you got Cole Kerr now for Wiggins, and now Jay Zell Riley, JR4 for Golden. He has definitely thrown his hat into that contention early on in his junior year at that so there you go he is a huge part of this offense uh, i think he's a huge part of why this golden team was able to find a lot of success early on but also let me talk about some of the help he has on this team as well because he has some good players uh, starting with senior running back dalton summers right now he is currently the lead running back for this team along with the other running back i gotta shout him out luke chevalier he has 228 rushing yards on 23 carries and a touchdown which is super efficient that sounds like yeah that sounds like stats from one game honestly um but that i don't know that that's just insane so they got both of those running backs but i'm gonna talk about dalton summers here because he is the you know he is a senior but for the most part you know he's extremely efficient and contributes to both sides of the ball as well as he does have two interceptions against green um that he got against green mountain and skyline playing safety but other than that let me talk about his production here so far on this season so so far on the season he has not had more than 13 carries in any game but he still puts up some nice numbers versus broomfield had 13 carries for 101 rushing yards so he did his thing there Green Mountain had 9 carries for 76 rushing yards, 2 rushing touchdowns there. Skyline, 13 carries for 53 rushing yards, a little bit of a down game. Then Liberty only had 3 carries for 70 yards and 1 touchdown, so that means one of those touchdowns, or one of those 3 carries went for a touchdown, so there you go but you know they have two good running backs here uh that kind of you know that that's a really good thing i think you know having some other guys you could rely on as well uh, a solid running game that you could rely on as well but let me talk about their receiver here their senior receiver josh tory before i talk about the defensive side of the ball um he is he's honestly emerged as the number one receiving option for golden it has been super productive each game he's been getting the ball a lot uh does not have any film not even on his huddle yet which is wild but i guarantee he will have plenty of college interest once the season is over um currently he has listed some uh you know some some numbers right here including his 40 time which is at around a 46459 and then his shuttle is a 428 so he has some speed on him you know he's somebody who's a who's an athlete for sure uh, kind of a taller athlete at that and so he's a receiver whose game is honestly elevated by uh jr4 just playing so well you know he was probably a great athlete before a pretty good receiver before but you know, to get those looks from colleges, you need to have a quarterback that could sling the ball. And luckily, he has a really good quarterback that can do that. Uh, also, shout out to a fellow senior, Toby Trujillo. He plays receiver as well. He's a solid number two option. He's been putting up some numbers as well. And so maybe we talk about uh, him in depth later on in this season or in the offseason. But 
let me go ahead and talk about Josh Torrey's stat line so far. So versus Broomfield, six receptions, 81 receiving yards, one receiving touchdown. Green Mountain, eight receptions, 115 receiving yards, one touchdown. Versus Skyline, this was a huge game for him. He really stepped it up uh, versus a good Skyline team. Six receptions, 140 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns. Versus Liberty, like I said, saving snaps. One reception, 52 yards, and a touchdown. So there you go. And so on offense, they got weapons. They got receivers. They got a running back. Uh, running backs at that and they have a great quarterback who could run the ball as well as throw it and so this is a golden offense that you know we couldn't have possibly predicted being as powerful as they are but they are you know and they are led by their junior quarterback in Jazel Rally JR4 and I can't talk enough about how good he is you know he's just an accurate thrower has a pretty smooth throwing motion from what I could see and he's just a good athlete and so uh, we'll definitely be doing an in-depth breakdown of his game sometime maybe not this season but probably in the offseason honestly, which isn't super far away, and so we'll do that just so y'all could see how he really gets it done out there for Golden, but before we talk about predicting records and all that, I want to talk about the one defensive player that's really caught my eye, and that is defensive and slash linebacker Chase Bryan. Um, he's an interesting player to keep an eye on. He has played very good football through these first four games, making huge plays pretty much every game, and so Versus Broomfield, he had five tackles, uh, two sacks, and a forced fumble, so that's big time. Versus Green Mountain, he had seven tackles, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery at that. Versus Skyline, he had seven tackles and a fumble recovery. And then versus Liberty, he had two tackles, one sack, and he blocked kick, I believe, as well. And so he's somebody to look out for. You know, this golden defense, like I said, they're rebuilding it. But they have at least one good defensive player out there. So, you know, you could kind of live with that. And and they have a dominant offense. This is an offense that could probably average like 40-some points a game. Which is, you know, not super far from where they're at right now. 35 to 40 points a game. And so they could get into shootouts if they wanted to. They definitely could. But let me go ahead and talk about, you know, their schedule here and make some predictions. So... Obviously, this team has not had, um, or they just don't have the hardest schedule to end the year. They haven't had the hardest schedule up to date, I would say. Uh, well, you know, they, they have had some matchups. I'd say um, Broomfield was a really good test, you know, but that was the very first game of the season. So, you know, take what you want from that. And then Skyline, that was a very good game that uh, they won as well. So I'll give them that, you know. Um, but it gets a little bit easier here uh, with some contenders thrown in here. But definitely gets a little bit easier here. So they play wide field tonight. Um, yeah, if they could, if they could beat Liberty... Uh, they could do. They could beat Widefield. Let's just say that this is a game that will. Uh, man, this is a game that could probably get ugly if everything goes right for Golden, and even if some things go wrong, I think they still beat Widefield. So there you go. Stanley Lake uh, is their next game. I think this is a dub. Uh, Stanley Lake may be 2-2, two two, but they do have some good players on their team, including Fulton Jackson, their quarterback. He's an interesting player that we're going to hopefully look at soon here. And look at this team, Stanley Lake, eventually here. But, 
you know, they've dropped some games, and uh, even though they have dropped some games, I still think this is maybe a trap game right here. I still have Golden beating them, though, but it could definitely be defined as a toss-up if you really want to get into the uh, specifics here, honestly. We'll move on, though. Um, they play Wheat Ridge. Wheat Ridge is 0-4. And, you know, this isn't a dub on Wheat Ridge's schedule. I think Golden goes ahead and they uh, blow out Wheat Ridge. So there you go. Then after that, their schedule kind of starts picking up here. So, you know, they get kind of three easier dubs to... Well, after this, you know, spotlight here, they get three easier dubs. Uh, but this is where their schedule picks up. They play Chatfield. Uh, Chatfield's undefeated right now, uh, going into their game against a strong Pine Creek team. I think a lot can be said about Pine, or sorry, about Chatfield playing well against a tough Fountain Fort Carson defense, you know, and uh, kind of just shutting them down uh, defensively in the fourth quarter and scoring a lot of points as well. And so, at best, I think, you know, this might be a shootout between both sides, but I have Chatfield taking this one at the end of the day, handing them their first loss on the season. Right after that, they play Dakota Ridge. Dakota Ridge is better than Chatfield. They're a contender. You know, I kind of feel like I don't need to talk about all the players that they have on their team because I will be talking about them more, and I already have talked about them a lot. You know, no trip to Dante Campolongo. Uh, you get the deal. Look, Golden success is newfound while Dakota Ridge has been here. They've been successful every year for like a really long time now and so i think dakota ridge pulls this game out regardless of whether it's a close game or a blowout dakota ridge wins handing them their second l on the season then they play bear creek to end the season uh you know bear creek is not bad they only have one loss on the season um against a good you know eerie team led by blake barnett but i think you know, if Blake Barnett could find success against his Bear Creek team. I think JR4 could find that same success and, you know, kind of lead a, a little, maybe a blowout against Bear Creek, honestly. Regardless, though, I think this is a dub for Golden. Um, and they just find a way to win their last game of the regular season. And so, final predicted record. This is the record I have predicted for Golden. 8-2. Worst case scenario, maybe they're 7-3, 6-4, drop one or two games here or there. But I think this is a team that will definitely make the playoffs. Now, where they rank in the playoffs will depend uh, on the RPI and seeding and all that, you know, but I'm not going to get into it. I think RPI, RPI is dumb anyways. But I feel like once this team makes it into the playoffs, I could definitely see them uh, winning in the first round. And after that, it would just depend on how on fire this team is, honestly, because... I think JR4, along with his running backs, Summers and Chevalier, uh, Tory, that wide receiver out there, you know, they're going to make some noise in the playoffs. This is an explosive offense that is a threat to a lot of teams, and a lot of teams are going to have some trouble kind of scheming to shut them down because you don't want them to get going to start out the game. And so um, that's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on. Now, uh, this offense would have to play near perfect for them to pursue a deep playoff run because I honestly don't know where their defense is. I know they had, you know, a solid game against Broomfield and Skyline, but still, though, this is a very young defense. Chase Brown possibly being one of their better players on the squad. And so when you have a young offense, uh, but a good one at that, and a young, inexperienced defense, you know... Usually, that's not the greatest recipe 
going into the playoffs. But you never know. You know, this is this is a team that can make a solid little run here. And that, and if they don't make a solid little run, it will be at least really fun to watch. At the very least, you know, this is a team that's going to be a fun team to watch. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. But yeah, there you go. Like I said, eight and two got a lot of weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Got a great quarterback in Jr. Four. Um, you could have that Jazel Riley, by the way. You could have Jr. Four, uh, but we're going to call you that. So. There you go. I think this Golden team, you know, we properly rated them at the start of the season. There are just a lot of unknowns, you know. We assumed that they wouldn't be good because they're young. I think that's the one mistake we did make. But um, at the very least, we knew that they were going to be a young team and there are going to be a lot of unknowns. And so we were going to have to see what, you know, what they had on hand. You know, and we we're seeing that right now as they go four zero, and as they'll probably end up at eight and two, you know, seven three. Either way, they're probably making the playoffs, and that's what matters. But we are going to talk about our next team here coming up next. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast, and we're going to talk about our next team here, our last 4A team here, and that is Longmont. Um, Longmont is a very interesting team here. Now, before we go into this season, let's talk about their record from last season. And so, really, historically, Longmont has been a good team, but the last couple of seasons, uh, they've struggled, you know, and uh, last year during the COVID year in the fall was no exception. They won two and four only winning two games like i'm pretty sure almost all these teams that we're talking about uh this this episode have only won two games in the previous season but their only two wins on the season last year came against monarch 47 to 30 and then Greeley west 43 to 21 now, uh, their L's on the season last season was Bryden 32-19, Skyline 38-27, and a kind of a close one, uh, Loveland 50-21, who did end up going to state, and Ponderosa 40-13. And so, that's kind of tough, you know. They're also losing a couple players here uh, to graduation, including wide receiver Eddie Kerjack. He was a 6'9 wide receiver, caught like 200 he caught for 297 uh, receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. He was fourth in receiving on this team. So, you know, maybe not the biggest loss, but he is kind of a bigger body that you always like having out there, at least as an option. They're losing five of their top 11 tacklers, including their lead tackler, plus their sacks leader, uh, middle linebacker Sam Ruffing. Uh, also losing senior Aiden Gaddis as well, who is one of their lead tacklers. And so... The majority of the impact that graduation had on this team happened on the defensive side of the ball. Even then, they're only losing five of their top 11 tacklers. That's not bad. You know, that's um, that's five players who are probably starters, but out of 11, you can kind of live with that. You know, that's not the worst thing that could happen. Now, this year... They are 1-3, and three, and so I guess to casuals out there, it is looking like Longmont will repeat what happened last year. But honestly, they've had a really hard uh, first uh, four games, really hard first five games actually, because they're 1-3 ahead of their matchup against Silver Creek, which will be on Thursday night, uh, September 23rd. And so when this episode comes out, uh, they would have already played Silver Creek. 
But let me talk about what happened this season so far. So, uh, to start the season, they lose a close one. This is probably a game they really wanted to win, honestly. 49-43 versus a good Chatfield team who is undefeated right now, I believe. Then they go ahead and beat Broomfield 38-29 to get their first dub on the season. They lose to Windsor 56-22. And then they play Erie the following week. 56 now if you listen to cody's uh recap that's episode 67 by the way go ahead and check that out if you haven't yet covering a uh, colorado football from last week uh including this eerie versus longmont game he talked about how they were missing a couple players now i don't know if this is injury or covid or whatnot but it does seem to be a number of these players including their star senior quarterback Keegan Patterson, um, he's six foot one eighty, but this athlete is the heart and soul of this team. Now, unfortunately, you know he wasn't there to play against Erie, and that probably would have been a very different game if he was. Uh, it could have been COVID, and I kind of hope it's that instead of you know injury, because I don't know if this team wins another game without Keegan Patterson, but. Regardless, he's a gunslinger. Um, might throw a lot of picks. I think that was definitely a critique from last season. You know, I believe Cody did a breakdown on Keegan Patterson last year and whatnot. And so he did say his interceptions was kind of concerning and whatnot. And if he didn't do a breakdown, we've definitely talked about it off air. You know, he throws a lot of yards and throws for a lot of touchdowns. But the turnovers, you know, you kind of got to chill out with that. But... You know, he's still an electrifying football player, and he carries this Longmont team and makes a lot of teams close. And so let me talk about his stat line through the three games that he did play in. So versus Chatfield in that loss, won 27-41 for 386 passing yards, one passing touchdown, threw two interceptions, though. He ran the ball 21 times, though, for 88 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns, which is absolutely insane, versus Broomfield in their first dub. 126, uh, 36, 329 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, one interception. Also ran 25 times for 108 yards and three touchdowns versus Windsor. This is probably his worst game. Uh, still, though, put up numbers 23 of 42 for 246 passing yards, one touchdown, threw three interceptions, which is a lot, and then ran the ball 16 times for 92 yards and two touchdowns. So as you can see, he is extremely productive. You know, running for multiple touchdowns um, pretty much every game while throwing for about close to, you know, 300 yards every game except for that Windsor game there where they were down by a lot. Longmont's best chance at winning football games is when Keegan Patterson was there. And so when he was not there against Erie, that was probably a really big blow, uh, honestly, to this offense. And, you know, speaking of this offense, they do have two wide receivers, senior wide receivers at that, who have been, you know, benefiting from uh, Keegan Patterson playing so well. And they've been doing their own thing as well. They're good athletes out here. So I'm going to go ahead and start with senior wide receiver Jack Moore. This 6'1", 180-pound wide receiver is the current wideout one 
as far as stats go, I would say uh, he has shown that he could even make it happen without Keegan Patterson and could be productive. Um, but you know, just him being out there without a productive quarterback or without a you know a quarterback as talented as Keegan Patterson is not going to be enough to win games. But now let me go ahead and talk about his stat line so far this season. And like I said, he's super productive versus Chatfield. Five receptions, uh, 145 receiving yards, one touchdown. Broomfield, he had three receptions, 56 receiving yards, and one touchdown. Windsor, he had six receptions, 126 yards, one touchdown. Versus Erie, without Keegan Patterson, by the way, had nine receptions on 66 receiving yards. And so he showed he could get it done, you know, even without Keegan Patterson as well. But like I said, that won't be enough to win football games. Now, the other senior wide receiver that you got to keep an eye on when playing Longmont is Caleb Johnson. He's 5'10", 155 pounds. Um, and he did not play in the Erie game either. Uh, despite having incredible numbers, not scoring a touchdown yet, but having really good numbers so far. And he's also their prime returner, and so for him to not play against Erie, that's pretty tough. You know, that's uh, that kind of leads me to believe that maybe this was a COVID situation and whatnot, where Keegan Patterson and Caleb Johnson got quarantined, and, you know, if that is uh, the deal, then they... Uh, I don't know if they'll make it for the Silver Creek game. That is cutting it pretty close. They would almost have to start their quarantine on that following Monday after the Windsor game on Friday. And so that'll be really interesting to keep an eye on and whatnot. And so I don't want to go ahead and assume if it's COVID or injuries or whatever, but you know, they need Caleb Johnson out there just as much as Keegan Patterson, in my opinion. But let me talk about his stat line versus Chatfield 16 receptions. 102 receiving yards, so super productive there. Versus Broomfield, 13 receptions, 131 receiving yards. Versus Windsor, a good defense, by the way. Uh, six receptions, 45 receiving yards. And like I said, did not play in the Erie football game. Before I make predictions and talk about the rest of their season and, uh, you know, some narratives to follow here, I want to go ahead and mention Cole Gaddis. He is a sophomore. He's uh, their lead tackler on the team with 27 tackles. Also did not play in the Erie game. And so, you know, that's that's a hard game to win without your starting quarterback, without your starting receiver slash returner as well, and then without your lead tackler. Um, that Erie game is a hard game to win. Honestly, you need everyone there uh, because as is this Longmont team has a very difficult schedule. This five game, these first five games for Longmont might be the hardest first five games uh, out of any team in the state of Colorado. Honestly, they play a lot of teams here that will probably make the playoffs or make some, you know, make some noise in the playoffs as uh, uh, contenders or teams making deep runs. All of that being said. Their, their schedule eases up a little bit here, but here's the deal. You know, Longmont right now is 1-3, and, and I don't think this record really reflects how talented this team is. You know, you had a close game versus Chatfield um, versus Windsor. You know, they're just a better, they're a good team. Maybe if you didn't commit as many turnovers, uh, that's a more winnable game. But, you know, uh, what-ifs are what-ifs for a reason. And then versus Erie. I mean, you were losing a lot of players, a lot of starters, so that's kind of a tough game to win against an Erie team that is rolling with Blake Barnett at the helm. But it does get easier, and so maybe they are able to sneak into the playoffs with the games they have left here. But the pressure is on 
every single game matters in an ideal world they go ahead and you know they run the table and they make the playoffs and they're on fire going into the playoffs but you know they do still have some challenges here starting with silver creek on that thursday night september 23rd now here's the thing it depends on who is available for this game you know is uh, keegan patterson going to be available i think that's probably the most important question we could possibly ask is he going to play in this game we'll see you know um, like I said, we'll know the results after last night, you know, because this episode comes out on Friday. But that's going to be the biggest question. Along with that, what about Caleb Johnson and Cole Gaddis? You know, are they going to be available? And, you know, Silver Creek, I saw them play live last week. And I may go up and watch them again. We'll see sometime. But I think... Honestly, this Silver Creek team is really good. Bryce Corey had an off game last week. You know, I'll chalk that. I'll chalk that up to that. You know, he just had an off game, right? Um, and honestly, I don't think Silver Creek is going to go into this game and think, oh, you know, we're fine. No, I think they're going to have a little bit of a sense of urgency, especially if they have, if Longmont has all of their players and whatnot, and they think, hey, this is a bounce back game. This might be a must win game, you know, to kind of get back on track here. And so after suffering that loss to Skyline, I think they don't want to do that again. And uh, their offense is a lot more in sync. And honestly, I think Longmont as is will probably struggle in beating a Silver Creek team. If they're shorthanded, they definitely don't win. Honestly, here, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. If it's not COVID and it is like a longer injury, uh, this Longmont team doesn't win a game without Keegan Patterson. I'm just going to say that right now. Nonetheless, against a very good Silver Creek team. So I think they take the L here. Even if they do come back, they might still be rusty. You know, um, they might still be rusty. And so I think Silver Creek goes ahead and hands Longmont another L here. Now, luckily, they play Grand Junction Central the next week. Longmont, that is. I think Longmont takes this one if they're fully healthy and whatnot. Um, they absolutely need to win this game if they want to make the playoffs. Because at this point, they're 1 and 4. So you got to get this dub here. Take care of business. Boom. There you go. Uh, against Greeley Central. Now, unfortunately, uh, look, this actually might be the one game where Longmont could be missing their players and still win. Uh, I don't mean any disrespect towards Greeley Central or anything like that. That's just what I believe right now because um, they are a more established program. And so I think Longmont gets a dub and they start rolling here. But then they play Loveland. And now... At this point, if they have everyone, they've gained back their confidence, they're rolling. I think this is a game they could win, depending on how these last couple games go. But either way, I think this is probably a must-win on in their minds. I think Longmont looks at this game, you know, and they got dubs versus Grand Junction and Greeley Central. Now they're playing a contender in Loveland here. I think they want to win this third game in a row badly, so they have that momentum going into the end of this season here and so honestly this could be one of those games where it's a desperation game longmont's backs are up against the wall you know their season is on the line and if i'm keegan patterson honestly i look at this game and i look at it and i'm like hey this is a game where i need to take over and take command of longmont's fate you know no more games at this point I need to go crazy on this team. And that means no turnovers, no stupid turnovers at that. Because you already know, Loveland, they 
thrive off of capitalizing off of your mistakes and whatnot. That's what they did versus Palmer Ridge and State last year. And so you got to keep that in mind. But if I'm Keegan Patterson, I got to do what it takes to win this game or at least put this team in a position to win this game. And honestly... Loveland is in a powerful position right now. They're off to a great start. I don't know if they've lost a game yet. Uh, I don't think they've lost a game yet. And honestly, going into this game, they might still be undefeated. And so to them, this is a game they may not care as much about, but they're still going to play you hard because that's just who they are. They're a tough squad, you know? And so all of that being said, I think I still have Loveland winning this one in a close one. Keegan Patterson cannot throw more than... Actually, he cannot have more than one turnover total between picks and fumbles this game. You don't win a game against Loveland uh, if you do that, honestly. So, there you go. But regardless, I'm just going to go ahead and predict this one safe and call this a dub for Loveland and L for Longmont. Then the next week, they play Monarch. I feel like this shouldn't be a close game. I feel like following an emotional battle with Loveland, uh, they'll be amped to just thrash the next team in front of them unfortunately that's monarch that's a dub for longmont and then going into their last game they have skyline unfortunately i think going into the skyline game i'm just thinking about a bunch of different ways you know this uh, record could turn out but i don't think they'll have a winning record going against skyline at best they're at four or sorry at best they're at 500 playing skyline Honestly, but regardless of whether they're able to sneak into the playoffs if they beat them or not, this will be Keegan Patterson's last regular season game for Longmont. And he was a three-year starter for Longmont and has done a lot to keep this, you know, historically good program afloat. You know, one of the lone bright spots, honestly. Also, this offense has a lot of seniors on their, uh, on their team, you know. You got Jack Moore, you have Caleb Johnson, just to name the other two. And so... This is their last game, potentially, of high school football, you know, and I think this will be an emotional game. I think, honestly, what I want to see out of Longmont, you know, they play for their boys. They play for the fam because, look, you know, I wouldn't exactly say this is a game they're favored in either. But I think this is going to be an emotional game where regardless, Longmont wants to end the season on a dub, whether they make the playoffs or not. And so this will be a desperation game for Longmont to a degree. Skyline at this point, maybe they've already secured their spot and maybe they're not taking it as seriously, but Longmont definitely will be. And you know, playoffs might be on the line in this game. I... Regardless, just however you like crunch it up or predict it, I think the Skyline game will be extremely important. And you know, whether they make the playoffs or not will depend on whether they beat Skyline. So, there you go. Regardless, this should be a huge game. Um, and potentially Geekin Patterson's last game ever for Longmont. And so, I think Longmont goes ahead, gets a good, emotional, passionate dub against a very good Skyline team. So, there you go. I think they get a happy ending, at least to end the regular season. Alright, so, let me talk about their final predicted record. This is the final record I have predicted for this Longmont team, and probably their best case scenario. But I think they'll go 5-5 five and five, uh, at the end of this season. That's the most likely outcome. Maybe they go 6-4. and four. Uh, you know, beat a Silver Creek or a Loveland. I don't think they'll beat both, though. But beat one of those two, maybe. Um, but 
uh, I don't know. I kind of have my doubts there. And even at five and five, maybe they're able to sneak into the playoffs just because of the strength of their schedule. Um, and their schedule is hard. You know, they are playing six potential playoff teams. Honestly, at this point. Almost all six of those teams are teams that I believe will be in the playoffs with one or two of those being able to make pretty deep runs in the playoffs as well. And so maybe Keegan Patterson and the crew could get the benefit of the doubt and sneak into the playoffs, but they don't make it if they don't finish at least 500. So five and five on this season. And so if they go five and five, you know, I think they have a chance at making the playoffs. I don't know about how good of a chance because at that point it's just up to your strength of schedule. But they have to take care of business and go 5-5 five and five after having a rough start. And I think they could do it. You know, Keegan Patterson, he is a very fun player to watch. He's somebody that I look forward to watching in person, hopefully this season before he graduates and all that. Because he's just a phenomenal athlete, a great player. You know, I like his wide receivers as well. Um, and... I think, you know, they're put in a high-pressured situation, honestly, by just not having a good uh, start and, you know, losing that eerie game because they didn't have all their players and whatnot. And so really what it's all coming down to is Keegan Patterson, Jack Moore, and Caleb Johnson, these three seniors. Regardless of what happens uh, for the rest of their senior year and this season, they are now put in a high-pressured situation to win now. And that's exciting, you know. Honestly, I don't think this team is good enough to get a ton of defensive stops. So a high-powered offense is your best bet at making some noise, not only in the season, but in the playoffs as well. I think they can, but honestly, all that is left is to make it happen and, you know, prove all the haters wrong. I think a lot of people out there are really thinking that Longmont is done for this season but I don't think they are quite yet so we'll just see what these three seniors can do in this high pressured situation for Longmont regardless it'll be really fun to watch now coming up next we have our last team of 5A team to wrap up this spotlight episode what's good y'all welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast, we got our last team here, our only 5A team here, and it is Douglas County High School. Now, Cody and myself were able to make it to the Douglas County Castleview game, the Battle of the Rock. Now, <laughs> go go ahead and check out um, episode 67. That's a recap from last week. That's when the game happened. Uh, like Cody said, we were not able to make it into the game. It was actually a sold-out game, and so, uh, you know, we, we found our ways, you know, to still watch the game and get onto the field and all that. And so, I'm just going to leave it there. But, you know, this game was too good of a game to not watch. You know, the crowd was hopping. The vibes were immaculate you know and that's what high school football is all about but honestly after this game leaving this game i was very impressed with douglas county and so i am super happy and honored to be able to cover douglas county here talk about them a little bit more in depth and give them some love because they deserve it man so before we do all that let's talk about the record last year so uh two and three all these teams that we talked about on this episode one 
you know, they lost two games, or sorry, they won two games and lost the rest of them. Um, their dubs were against Doherty, 27 to 24, in a close one, and Pooter, 21 to 14. Now their losses were to Regis Jesuit. Um, that one was 42 to zero. Legend, 42 to 14, and then Castleview uh, was their last game of the season that they lost. 52 to 10. Now, some of the players they lost was wide receiver Keenan Rhodes. He had, uh, you know, not crazy stat line. Had 118 yards and a touchdown, but um, you know, was the third wide receiver. But you're still losing him. They're also losing their guard uh, Eric Lott. I want to say he was a starter. And then they are losing six of their top 11 tacklers from last year, including linebacker Jake. Um, I want to say it's Gadekin. Gadekin, I want to say he co-led the team in sacks along with Bobby Esparza. He's another top tackler on this team. And so, you know, not losing the most players. Offense, for the most part, kind of stayed intact. You know, you're losing a lineman, a wide receiver there. Defensively, you have a little bit more work to do. You know, you have some spots to fill out. But regardless, Douglas County right now, including that dub, they got over Castleview, which, by the way, they haven't beat Castleview in, like, six years since, like, 2014 or 2013 at this point. Um, well, actually, wait a second. It might have been longer than six years if it was 2014 or 2013. Regardless, it's been a really long time. And so, right now, Douglas County is 4-0 ahead of their home game against Boulder uh, tonight, September 24th. But let me talk about the games that they have won. So we got a dub against Mountain Range, 45-0. Um, beat North Glen, 49-21. Beat Prairie View, 48-19. And then beat Castleview, 16-0. And so a lot of their success... I would have to say is attributed to their senior quarterback and athlete. He plays corner and he was their punter. He was on the field at least 99% of the time in that Castleview game. And I'm talking about Antoine, AJ Jackson. You know, he is the highest rated quarterback in the class of 22, but three stars. He's listed as a dual threat. And, you know, he's an athlete that, uh, like I said, gets it done on on all sides of the ball. You know, uh, on defense, he's a starting DB. On special teams, I believe he's the kicker or punter, I want to say. And honestly, in that game, he earned every one of those stars and probably a little bit more. He's a D1 player in my eyes, whether it's quarterback or DB or whatever. I think AJ Jackson is a D1 player player and he has been getting snaps since his freshman year uh, at quarterback you know and so he is a very experienced football player at this point you know he's played a lot of football um, but and honestly he's the life and soul of this Douglas County team you know this team went as he did you know and he really stepped up and he did a lot of things to get them to dub in this game against Castleview but let me talk about you know his stat lines uh, the rest of the season here so against Mountain Range to start the season won 5 of 9 97 passing yards 2 passing touchdowns 5 rushes for 78 rushing yards against North Glen against North Glen sorry um, went 11-15 for 244 passing yards, two touchdowns, also rushed five times for 21 yards. Against Prairie View, 10-14, 104 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, 17 rushes for 95 yards and two rushing touchdowns. And then against Castleview, 9-16, of 174 
passing yards, two passing touchdowns, 12 carries, 79 yards, no picks on the season yet. And so AJ Jackson, you know, as you could see looking at his stats, he runs the ball kind of a lot. And you look at his passing attempts and he hasn't had any uh, passing attempts over 16 yet. But honestly, watching this Castleview game, he looked good. Footwork looked good. Mechanics looked good. He could sling the ball really well. He put it in a couple of tight spaces. Uh, had an absolute dime of a throw. It was a moon ball on a huge um, throw and catch to this receiver that I'm about to talk about next here. That kind of opened up the game here for, uh, for Douglas County. And so... AJ Jackson, I believe, is the real deal. We will do a film breakdown on him eventually, but for right now, I would just I just want to highlight him and the rest of his players here because you know this is a kind of a low-key talented team right here. So the other guy that kind of stood out in this Castleview game was junior athlete. He plays wide receiver, running back, and cornerback Chase Nelson. Now he's only 5'7. Uh, listed at 138 pounds, which is really light, but he has a lot of speed on him, and he's also a track star. He's one of the fastest dudes in the entire state. You can look up his stats there. You know, he's he's a stud. Uh, as a junior, he has really stepped into his role, though. You know, with uh, AJ Jackson kind of emerging as that lead receiver for this team. He's somebody who adds a lot more speed as a rusher and as a pass catcher as well. You know, he has a lot of juice on him. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, he's also snagged two interceptions and blocked two field goals on the season so far. And so he's an absolute threat, you know, offensively, defensively, and on special teams as well. You know, he could be a game changer there. He made some plays in this uh, Castleview game. And so people might be able to criticize his, you know, height, weight, whatever. But regardless, this is a speedster that makes plays. He's a playmaker. It don't matter, you know, how tall he is or how much he weighs. He, may he gets it done. You know, and he's been giving teams some uh, struggles here, including Castleview, which was arguably his best game. But let me go ahead and talk about uh, what he's been doing in these first four games. So against Mountain Range, he had one rush for 94 yards and a touchdown. So <laughs> there you go. Also had three receptions for 70 yards and a receiving touchdown. He also snagged a pick on the defensive side of the ball. So very productive game there. Against North Glen, he had two receptions, 67 yards, uh, one receiving touchdown. Also rushed one time for two yards. So yeah, you know, there you go, but still productive. Versus Prairie View, three rushes for 32 yards. Uh, also caught three balls for 38 yards and a uh, receiving touchdown. He also blocked two field goals in that game, which is insane. And then versus Castleview, had an excellent game. Six receptions, 124 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns, including that long ball that kind of put Castleview ahead. And he also snagged an interception. So Chase Nelson, man, he has a lot of speed on him. Only a junior, too. So maybe he grows a little bit more. Maybe even gets a little bit faster. But regardless, this is somebody that, you know, if he doesn't get a track scholarship, which I, you know, I, I feel like he could definitely get one. Uh, he is somebody that could probably be a threat for a lot of football teams. Now, you can't teach speed, you know. You can't just give somebody the juice, either. You know what I'm saying? And so Chase Nelson, he has a lot of those things. And I think he is going to continue to contribute for this Castleview team. Kind of, you know, he's just somebody who could do it all. You have AJ Jackson, who's an all-around threat. Now Chase Nelson, he is definitely that as well. As he, he plays multiple roles on this squad, just like AJ. So 
there you go. Now the last player I want to talk about is their senior running back, Tyler Stonebreaker. Um, he's somebody who's been getting touches since his freshman year, but he really took over his sophomore year. And so here's another guy who's been, you know, starting for kind of a while here, uh, just like Chase and AJ. But the 5'9", 175-pound running back is a vet at this point, like I said, and is honestly in the midst of the best season of his career so far, which is which is great. And he completes the big three that Douglas County boasts on offense, you know. These three guys here are a threat to a lot of teams, you know. They showed a lot of different looks, I want to say, against Castleview, you know, and kind of kept them on their toes. Um, their pass rushers could not pass because they had to look out for this dive by Tyler Stonebreaker here. And obviously, I mean, I don't think you want to let A.J. Jackson get the edge and run outside because he could rip off a long one. Then you have Chase Nelson on reverses, and he's a great receiver as well that could create off the catch. And so... You have a lot of guys to look out for, but in my opinion, I feel like a lot of that, you know, you got to give credit to the running back, Tyler Stonebreaker. He kind of sets that tone and, you know, allows uh, Douglas County to do all these things by being a running back that is efficient and gets it done. And so let me talk about his game so far this season. So versus Mountain Range, 13 carries, 94 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. He also caught a ball for 20 yards versus North Glen. Only 7 carries here, but for 53 rushing yards and a touchdown. Versus Prairie View, he had a monster game. 23 rushes for 209 rushing yards and 2 rushing touchdowns. And then versus Castleview, pounded the ball 19 times for 58 rushing yards. There were definitely sometimes Castleview uh, just couldn't stop him. You know, when they needed a stop on 3rd down and whatnot. And so... Tyler Stone Stonebreaker is a huge part of this Castleview offense, you know, and I would say this Castleview offense is probably the strength of this team. They showed a lot of different looks, and they showed they could get the ball to multiple people. Um, they could get creative with their play calling, and because of that, you know, that really, like, you know, it really uh, put Castleview uh, on their toes, you know, Douglas County really put Castleview on their toes because they couldn't really predict them. They had to start, you know, holding back their pass rushers and, you know, keeping their ends and edge rushers uh, in contain instead of letting them loose and whatnot. And that matters, you know. That gives, uh, you know, that gives A.G. Jackson more time to throw it to Chase Keller or whoever. Or, you know, it gives him uh, time to you know, make a decision and kind of put Castleview in a tough spot there. But regardless, this Douglas County team is super talented. And honestly, Douglas County has not had a true winning season since 2013. You know, you could have the exception of 2016. They broke even at 5-5, five and five, but in my opinion, that's not exactly a true winning season. Now, this year, though, it's different. And it's going to continue to be different, led by this big three um, on this Douglas County offense, honestly. You know, I think it will be very different. So let me go ahead and hop into predictions here. So versus Boulder, they play them tonight, I want to say, September 24th. Um, look, I saw Boulder against Fairview. Honestly, I think Douglas County gets his dub. They feed off of that momentum from that Castleview game, uh, which was a lot, you know. They got a lot of momentum by beating Castleview for the first time in years. And so that should be a good dub there versus Boulder. They play Doherty the next week. Now, <laughs> look. I have a hard time saying Doherty beat Douglas County. This is not a challenging game. I'm just going to say that. This shouldn't be a challenging game. So I think Douglas County goes ahead and beats Doherty right there. 
Now, they play Pine Creek that following week, and actually, this will be a Saturday, Saturday night game that Cody and I will be at. Um, I live in the spring, so I'll definitely be there at least, but Cody will be coming down, and we'll watch this game together. This is probably their next biggest test, if not their biggest test of the season. It will be a battle between dual-thread quarterbacks AJ Jackson and JoJo Roy, and Pine Creek is on fire right now, and they're a contender. We know what their program's all about, and so... As of right now, I'm going to go ahead and predict that Pine Creek beats Douglas County in a close game, you know, but I'm looking at this game for Douglas County and, you know, if I'm AJ Jackson, if I'm Chase, if I'm Tyler, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm like, hey, you know, this is a great opportunity to shock the state. A great opportunity to shock the state. I think that's how you want to approach this as they go down to the springs and play Pine Creek in their own house. You know, a house that they very much own, by the way, even though they share it with three other teams. That is Pine Creek's house, D20 Stadium. Let's just keep that clear right now, you know. And so, this will be a good one. Regardless, you know, I think they will get a good test. I think Pine Creek will get a good test. Um, but we'll just have to see how it goes down. This will be a close game, I feel. And so I'm going to go ahead and give Pine Creek the dub on this one. But I wouldn't be surprised if Douglas County rises to the opportunity and upsets Pine Creek. So there you go. After that, they play Legend. That is not an easy game. Bryce Vaz and company, they're a good team. Um... Look, I'm just going to say I think Douglas County wins a close one against uh, Bryce Vaz and company. I think they'll have to play a good game, like a very clean game, to win this one. And that means uh, probably getting an early lead and holding on, to it, uh, holding on to it. But this game could probably go either way. But, you know, I believe in Douglas County at home. Uh, by the way, they have a great stadium. So just wanted to throw that out there. But I think home field advantage will be big in this one. So I think they go ahead and get the dub versus Legend. After that, they play Chaparral in Parker. And, you know, to beat Kylan Wilson and company will not be easy. Uh, they also have a number of defensive guys who have been turning it up uh, this season. And so Chaparral, you know, they're not a slouch team at all. Uh, they're definitely a playoff team with a great quarterback or a good quarterback in Kylan Wilson and a pretty solid defense. I could see this one going either way, but for now, I think this one might be too much uh, for them to pull off. I have them dropping this game against Chaparral. And then their last game of the season is against Regis Jesuit. And you know, Regis is a strong team despite losing so many players. Um, they've won so far after their loss earlier in the season in their first game. And they have offensive weapons to match the weapons that Douglas County has. I'm going to go ahead and say that they don't win this one versus Regis. You know, this is a difficult win. Uh, kind of like a Pine Creek level type of win uh, for them to get. You know, maybe they get it. Maybe. But we'll just have to see. I'm just going to go safe here and say that they do lose to Regis Jesuit to end the season. But regardless, though, the final record that I have predicted for Douglas County is 7-3. I think this is the most realistic uh, prediction that I could make off of their record so far. Uh, even on this episode so far, I think this is probably as realistic as it gets. Uh, 
Look, really, so far, they haven't played any challenges outside of Castleview yet. You know, Mountain Range, North Glen, uh, Prairie View, I think they may be combined for two wins on the season so far. So, you know, take what you want with that. Um, but I'm eager to see how they do versus, you know, a challenge in Pine Creek. I think that'll be a very fun game between dual threat quarterbacks in the state. You know, JoJo Roy, he's a senior quarterback as well. And so... Um, I kind of, I, I don't want to make any promises, but I feel like both of these quarterbacks have a chance of making our top five seniors list for this year. And this game might affect, you know, who gets ranked above the other one, just straight up. And so this will be an interesting game for sure. Uh, but, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there. If they do beat Pine Creek, I could see Douglas County just going undefeated and entering the playoffs kind of as a dark horse, even though they are undefeated. Um, dark horse because they're not a known, as known a name, I would say. But regardless, this should be a fun season for Douglas County. You know, 7-3 predicted for, you know, a predicted record for Douglas County. That's not bad. You know, Douglas County could live with 7-3, and three, you know, uh, and you got exciting players in A.J. Jackson. You got a speedster who could just take it to the house like Tyreek Hill in a Chase Nelson. You got a tough running back in Tyler Stonebreaker. Great last name, by the way. That's a football name for sure, you know, and so this is a squad that will be fun to watch regardless and they're gonna win they've showed they could win and i think that castleview game was a great indicator of that we're looking forward to watching castle or sorry we're looking forward to watching douglas county take on pine creek in the springs here uh, in a couple weeks that should be a great game but uh, that'll actually wrap up this episode. And, you know, we hope to do breakdowns on all of these quarterbacks at the end of the season. So, you know, the young players out there and uh, all the players out there know, you know what these quarterbacks are doing good for them to, you know, have the success and what they could do uh, to even improve and be better. You know, and so we'll do those breakdowns along with the breakdowns of a couple of their teammates as well. But that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you for rocking with us, PMC fam. Thank you for all of your support so far. Make sure to show us some love on all of our social medias. That's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Uh, follow or subscribe to us on YouTube. And then if you are listening to this on a streaming platform, go ahead and, uh, you know, give us a good review and comment and give us some ratings here. We appreciate all of the support there as well. But with that being said, uh, that'll wrap up this episode. Oh, and I'm going to throw this right here at the end of the episode. Cody, my co-host... Very much wanted to get episode 69. He wanted to do episode 69. You could go ahead and guess why he wants to do it. It's because he's a 6ix9ine fan. And so look out for that recap next week. Episode 69 by Cody Stafford. Alright. But regardless. Whatever you're listening to this. Have a great day or night. Peace. <laughs>